0: I have been fascinated with the unknown and paranormal realms since childhood. After a profound experience with my grandmother's spirit 20 years ago, I have been on a quest to observe, study, investigate, and communicate with the afterlife and beyond. It's been an ongoing journey of exploration and discovery, one that has taught me how mortality, and the spirit world are forever bonded through the veils of time. Hello, 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 everyone on this Thursday, July fifteenth, I hope everyone is doing well. And I hope everyone can hear me because my mic was kind of far away, but I moved it a little bit closer. But anyways, I'm Nicole Strickland. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Afterlife Chronicles and beyond. So tonight I'm actually going solo again, which is fine. I love it. It's it's actually a really good thing to do once in a while. So I'm going to, I always have stuff planned in the background, you know, in case I don't have a guest. So tonight I thought, you know what, let's talk some RMS Queen Mary, okay? So before we do that, I do want to mention uh, that WLTKDB has a brand new Website. It is fantastic, designed by Todd Bates. It's just equipped with everything on there. You can watch video on there, it's equipped for audio. So get on there at wltkdb.com and check that out. Check uh, the other hosts and their shows as well, because there are many of them, very fine shows and hosts. So that's about it for announcements. I want to have some time to get into the show. You know, an hour to talk about the Queen Mary. Really. isn't really doing it justice. So I'll, I'll try my best. So let's get into it. So I first want to start with the news because it's pretty big what's going on here. So the RMS Queen Mary currently moored, well, she's been moored since 1967 in Long Beach, California. News came out last month, amazing news. So the city of Long Beach has full operational control of the ship for the first time since 1978. and that's huge. This is a brand new chapter for her in her golden years. So right now what they're doing uh, is you know swift actions are being uh, taken to restore the ship. They're beginning um, their testing of design work for for many of the urgent repairs. Oh my gosh, what are they bulkhead repairs, removal and installation of, an, of lifeboats, uh, installation, I mean of a, an emergency generator. Uh, temporary bilge pumps, uh, water intrusion warning systems, all of that. So they're working on that. So city officials said that they will spend 2.5 million to maintain the Queen Mary for the next. Six months, I believe it doesn't plan out repairs to reopen the ship. Hi, Linda. Nice to see you there. And then the Long Beach City Council voted unanimously to enter a two million uh, temporary two million dollar temporary caretaker contract with the ship's current on site operator, which is Evolution Hospitality. Okay, so then the remaining, I guess, five hundred thousand. I think what I've heard is it'll it'll pay for the city's uh, contract engineer to develop. Uh, in design repair work. So this is great news for the Queen Mary. Uh, Like I said, just a fantastic step uh, for her and in her new uh, golden years, a great new chapter. And I do want to say that, you know, there's a lot of myths going around that uh, I'm sure you, you've all seen it um, various news outlets have repopulated this about how the Queen Mary is in danger of capsizing on all this that is absolutely not true so I will say that yes the ship is what is she uh, if I did my math correctly she was uh, built in 1934 so an 86 87 year old ship here okay of course she needs to have repairs of course things need to be fixed But she's not yet in that imminent danger to where she's going to capsize. That is not true. There is a hole corrosion. And so that's basically caused by the neglect to remove and clean the steel surfaces underneath. And so that allows water to come in. I guess there's a patched cement area that was put in place i believe in 1968 and then divers discovered that it has started to break away from the hull so a lot of the water issues aren't actually caused this is from what i've heard i'm not an engineer i'm not a maritime engineer this is from what i've heard from talking to people i know the director of engineering on the ship i've talked to him a little bit um as well as other people uh the it's not that water is seeping in seawater. It's more that it's, it's condensation uh, issues from like the air conditioning and all that. So they're working to fix that. Uh, There's some minor issues, corrosion of deck plates, a rotting teak issues with rainwater and drainage. They are working to fix all that. Okay. So I don't want people's panties to get all bent out, uh, out of shape here. Lifeboats, you know uh, they're, probably going to remove those because there is a risk of collapsing and falling onto sun deck Uh, deck buckling, especially around the first and third class pool and some main support main mast support issues. Okay. So like I said, very old ship, she's doing very well. I mean, she's in my opinion, being kept up very well, but you know, there's individuals that that want to find every little thing and complain about it. But you know what? I do want to reassure people that, There are swift actions being taken right now to um, help, you know, repair the urgent repairs that need to be done. Okay, so the city of Long Beach uh, taking full control over the ship is a great step, like I said, in, in a positive direction. Okay, so with that said here, I do want to mention a few July anniversaries. So the Queen Mary, as we all know, is a very legendary ocean liner. A lot of people... Uh, a lot of paranormal researchers uh, gravitate toward the ship because it is considered one of the most haunted places in the world. And I would have to agree with that. There, The amount of paranormal activity on the vessel is astounding. But you have to remember, and this is almost more important than that, is her history. Her historical significance is unmatched by any other liner, and that interplays with the spiritual Activity on board. So you can't have history without the paranormal. You can't have paranormal without the history. So very, very legendary ocean liner. I mean, Southern California is so honored to have the Queen Mary. I mean, I live in San Diego, so I'm about an hour and a half away. You know, and it's it's a short drive when there's traffic, it's a little bit longer, but, you know, it's great to be able to, you know, take a day trip or spend the night up there. My mom and I actually just on Sunday, we took a drive a drive up to Long Beach and we got to spend some time with the Queen Mary. And then we had lunch at Gladstones across the way, which is a favorite among us all. It's great food and just a great environment. We sat outdoors. It was awesome. So there's a few July anniversaries. I do want to start out with a very important one. And this occurred on July 10th of 1966. So 55 years ago, one of the Queen Mary's crew members, I am only going to use his initials out of respect for his family. His initials are JP. You can look that up. You can find his name uh, on the Internet. So, JP joined the crew, I believe, in March of 1966. And so he sailed on, I believe, it was three voyages. And so the voyage in July of 1966, I believe it was number 482 or 483. Okay, so he was a fireman and bilge cleaner. He was 18 years old from Yorkshire. And sadly, very tragically, was found by another crew member in the, in the wee morning hours of July 10th. I believe it was about 3.55 or uh, 3.45 a.m. around there. And they found him sadly wedged, I believe, upright in the uh, watertight number, thir- number 13 door. So watertight door number 13 on the starboard shaft alley side of the aft engine room. So, there was a forward engine room, which was actually boiler room number five. There were five boilers. And so, uh, boiler room number five was the forward engine room, and then you have the aft engine room. And what's interesting about JP is he was normally assigned to the other boiler rooms. I believe three and four, uh, he may have worked all of them, but I believe three and four were the ones that uh, he primarily worked at. And so on this particular voyage, he was assigned to the aft engine room. So there is a uh, common myth online that is not true whatsoever. And the myth is that crew members would play a game of chicken uh, and try to see if they could slide through the watertight doors in time without getting crushed. Look, you know what? That never happened. I mean, these guys had to maintain professionalism at all times. They would not be doing that, especially in a fog like situation, as was the Queen Mary's state at the time of, of JP's demise. It was in port in a fog situation. They would not be messing around like that. Um, what I've always felt and what my friend uh, Tony Ashland, he was a former crew member um, in modern times, he was actually a tour guide. He led the uh, paranormal shipwalk tours and the dining with the spirits on board. And I was actually a guest on his tour. Uh, Oh man, I want to say it was about two years ago. And he shared how a former crew member that uh, was on board at the time that JP was employed and this particular crew member was also an engine room worker. He shares uh, a theory that uh, to me that this is the most plausible and this is kind of what I've always felt. So he shares or he shared actually That he felt that JP was trying to maybe manipulate the release levers on either side of the watertight door, somehow could not get them to operate, maybe uh, his hands were slippery for whatever reason, misjudged time, and sadly, got wedged in watertight door number 13. So, like I said, out of respect for the family, I only use his initials, and I understand that the family is upset at the ship, I absolutely understand Uh, Their predicament here because they used to have a ghost camera. That's what they would call them positioned right at door 13, which to me, yes, I agree. It's disrespectful. And, you know, from that incident, they uh, didn't have the most positive uh, feelings about the ship. But anyways, uh, JP is a beloved uh, spiritual energy on board. He's been encountered by myself, been encountered by uh, many, many people on board, specifically in the aft engine room, uh, but in various areas of the liner. So I do have, I don't know if you can see it. Well, actually, yeah, you can. It's a little candle I have lit in honor of JP here. And actually, this candle was gifted to me by former crew members and the slate used, the black slate was actually used in the building of the ship. So it's a very sentimental candle. So wanted to kind of honor JP tonight on my show and, uh, you know, let him know that he's a beloved, still a very beloved crew member, um, even in spirit form. Okay, so kind of elaborated on that a lot, but I thought it was important. Another July anniversary, so July 25th through the 30th of 1943, so the Queen Mary carried the highest number of souls on a vessel, 15,740 troops plus 943 crew equals 16,683 souls, okay, and then July 27th of 1967, that's when Long Beach won out the bid, I mean, several several people were bidding for the Queen Mary Long Beach one out at 3.45 million. And then of course, July 31st of 1947 was the first post-war voyage where the Queen Mary left Southampton to New York city with, I believe, 1,897 passengers and I believe 1,000 around 1280, I think crew. Okay. So those are important anniversaries. And so you know, the Queen Mary, it's so, so important to, uh, of, uh, to keep her ongoing historic preservation. I mean, it's, you know, you, you think of the Queen Mary and a lot of people go on board and uh, they don't realize how much history is with this ship. Okay, and I mean, I, I, we would be here like all night and into tomorrow if I, with me talking just about the history, and when I do radio shows and when I talk about the Queen Mary, I always feel bad because I feel like I'm skimping out on the history, but I want to leave time for the paranormal aspect as well, so I, I try to, to make a compromise if that makes sense. But just a little bit of history here, so, so the whole Queen Mary vision and her sister liner, the Queen Elizabeth, that actually started with Samuel Cunard's strong belief and vision in, in steamships. He first envisioned an idea to build such a vessel back, and I believe it was 1831 when he saw a steamboat come into port in uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. So it was in 1838 when he persuaded the, the British government uh, into believing that steam was more reliable than sales. And so he was granted the first uh, steamship contract, which was the Royal Mail Steam Packet Company, which had two monthly voyages between Liverpool and... Halifax and Boston so other ships were built and of course the Queen Mary and her sister liner Queen Elizabeth were built as well the Queen Mary was uh, built in 1934 and her her launch was September 26 1934 Today has been a weird day. I don't know why I completely forgot to mention at the beginning of this show. Hopefully, you know, people are still listening that I am going to be doing a free book giveaway. So I can't believe I just neglected to even mention this. Hello. But here's the book. So I've written three books about the ship. Okay. So uh, the first one is uh, Haunted Queen of the Seas, The Living Legend of the RMS Queen Mary. The second one is Spirited Queen Mary, Her Haunted Legend. And that is a sister book to the first book where I go more in depth about the, the ship's resident spirits, more in depth about the theories I have for why the ship is so paranormally active. And uh, a lot of my encounters spanning, you know, 17 or 15 plus years, at the time the book was written, 15 plus years, as well as other people who elected to share their encounters. So it's a great book. All three are sold aboard, as well as online, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all that good stuff. So I am doing a free book giveaway. okay? So I stay tuned to the end because I'm gonna ask a question. And so the first person that can answer, Uh, that question, we'll get a copy of the book and just send me your address and I'll mail it off to you. Okay, simple as that. Let me take some water. You know, when you do solo shows, your voice gets all weird and dry. So anyways, I can't believe I neglected to say that earlier. So the, the Queen Mary's launch was September 26, 1934. Massive, huge event. And then her maiden voyage was May twenty seventh, 1936. So she had uh, service mainly from Southampton to New York City via Cherbourg. Okay, so she was an ocean liner on the North Atlantic run, carried people from all walks of life. I mean, students to dignitaries, to, to business moguls, to members of the aristocracy, to celebrities, actors and actresses, you name it. So many people sailed on the Queen Mary. And so, at the outbreak of World War II, she and her sister, Liner, the Queen Elizabeth, were requisitioned for troop ship duties, mainly for two reasons, her size, or their size, I should say, and their speed. Okay, so the Queen Mary, as was the case with her sister, Liner, pretty much sailed the Seven Seas, uh, pretty much went all over the place during World War II as a troop ship. Uh, Winston Churchill... And his entourage has pretty much stayed on M deck uh, during the war. I I think he sailed the Queen Mary. I forget the exact number, but it was several times him and his entourage. And he was, he actually planned the D Day invasion on board the Queen Mary, which is an interesting fact. And so he uh, helped to increase the troop capacity of the Queen Mary as the years went on, you know, 5,000 to 10,000 to to the highest number, what I just mentioned, is 16,683 souls. So that was instrumental in in carrying necessary troop loads to the places where they needed to be. Okay, so she went everywhere. I mean, Africa, Australia, you name it. I think uh, the statistic is, uh, I think she delivered 810 1, 730 troops to Europe and traveled something like 569,000 nautical miles. So her history is unparalleled to um, any other ship. And so she also, which is an, another interesting fact here too, is she attained the blue ribboned prize on two occasions for the fastest ocean liner. So in August of 1936, She uh, attained this award, the Blue Ribbon, from the Normandy on, I believe it was her sixth voyage. So she crossed the Atlantic in three days, uh, 23 hours, and I think like four twenty-three 23 hours and like 55 or 56 minutes, something like that, from Ambrose Lightship to Bishop Rock on the western edge of England. And then in August of 1938, she won that prize back on her 48th round trip voyage as well. So that's uh, an interesting fact as well. So there's so many things that make the Queen Mary the Queen of Excellence, right? That's what I'm going to use. That just came out. It just, I, I don't know. I didn't plan on saying that. It just came out. Queen of Excellence. Her craftsmanship and her engineering skills, just top notch. The crew had some of the finest credentials in the world. Her World War II service uh, alone, she helped to, uh, as well as her her sister liner and in other ships as well, helped to lessen the duration of World War II by about a year, if not longer, and of course save the lives of many men, women, and children. Okay, she also during her her the World War II days she carried Italian and German prisoners of war. She uh, repatriated servicemen once the war was over. She carried war brides, uh, 22,000 around there, 22,000 in total. And she had 1,001 peacetime voyages. And I want to read a quote here. And I believe this is from one of her captains, Captain John Treasure Jones, who was actually the captain of the last uh, the last voyage uh, that had a a month-long voyage that sailed into to Long Beach on December 10th of 1967. That was a huge event. I mean, oh my gosh, a huge, huge event to see the Queen Mary sail in. Of course, I wasn't born yet, but to see the Queen Mary sail in on her last peacetime voyage into retirement, sailing up the coast of Southern California to Long Beach on December 10th, 1967. Well, I think it's December 9th, but then it was... Recorded as December 11th, if my memory serves me right. So uh, let's see. Captain John Treasure Jones said this. No finer ship, I'm reading this. No finer ship ever sailed this ocean. They will never build another like her. I don't want this to be a nostalgic crossing. We will go out in a blaze of glory and then on to Long Beach. California's climate will be good to her, which I think is such a profound quote. And uh, one thing that I forgot to read earlier from Winston Churchill, when I mentioned that uh, the the Queen Mary and, and her sister liner, the Queen Elizabeth, uh, being that integral in shortening the, the length of World War II, uh, he said this, he said, um, built, and I'm reading this here, uh, Winston Churchill said this, his quotes and phrases were so brilliant. He said, built for the arts of peace and to link the old world with the new The Queens challenged the fury of Hitlerism in the battle of Atlantic without their aid. The day of final victory must have unquestionably been postponed. Very profound quote. A lot of people that are familiar with the ship's history know that quote, you know, and that's, that's one thing I forgot to mention too, is that the Queen Mary was so integral even early on. And she continues to do this in retirement, bridging people that are are destined to meet, uniting people that are destined to meet. I have met some incredible people, former crew, former passengers, friends of mine like myself that have uh, just a a love for the Queen Mary. I mean, she has this unique, I guess, uncanny ability to unite people from all walks of life. And, you know, my friend, Tom Barney, he says it beautiful. We were on the ship one day and it was Barry Getz, another one of our friend's, a core group of friends, him, me, and Barry were standing on the ship on Sunday. And he said, you know, the queen Mary chooses you. She opens her arms to everyone, but she knows and can recognize the people that can really tap into her soul and understand her. And she chooses you. And he said, she chose me. And it's on, it's an honor. And that's kind of, he, the way he said that was so, in my opinion, so beautiful. So, I kind of want to get on a little bit to some of the paranormal because uh, I know we're almost at a half hour here. I do want to mention, though, that uh, one of her most famous incidents during World War II actually uh, took place on October second, 1942 at about 2.14 p.m. So one of her British World War One escort ships, the HMS Curacao, uh, that and the Queen Mary were on a, a number eight zigzag course. And she had to zigzag back and forth because Hitler had a bounty on her. Any submarine skipper who could sink the Queen Mary would get the iron cross with oak leaves and get awarded $250,000. Of course, that never happened. So to avoid German U-boats and all of that, she had to have all these zigzag motions across the waters. And so on October 2nd, 1942, like I said, around 2.14, 2.15 p.m., Uh, The Queen Mary was actually delivering, I think it was 10,000 American troops of the 28th Infantry Division and a total crew of 850 plus off the coast of Donegal, Ireland, prior to sailing to the Clyde Estuary to pick up the Curacao. Okay, so she was doing that. And then once she picked up the Curacao um, on that date, October 2nd, 1942, like I said, around 215. what happened is there was a miscalculation of timing on both uh, uh, Commodore Illingworth of the Queen Mary and then Captain Boutward on the Curacao. So what, so what happened, let me take a drink of water here, my Lord. So what happened is the Queen Mary, because of this miscalculation hit and sliced in half the Curacao. So the majority of its men Uh, drowned, uh, were either burned, uh, or very sadly, very tragically sucked underneath the Queen Mary and dismembered by her propellers. Yes, very tragic. So uh, and I'm going to get to a spot later on in the Queen Mary. It's the propeller room of the Queen Mary where a lot of people feel a lot of emotions. Um, from this event, as well as also another area of the forward cargo hold. So sadly, when this occurred due to strict Navy orders, the Queen Mary was mandated to continue sailing. All they could do was throw out life preservers and that's it. Because he had, I mean, uh, Illingworth had, Commodore Illingworth had the choice. Do I stop the ship and risk the lives of thousands of men or do I keep going? And he chose to keep going. So it's a, a very, very tragic event. So a lot of people on board the Queen Mary specifically in in for in the forward cargo hold area, well actually in the rope room area, which is forward um, forward part of the ship, they can hear the and I've been witness to this many times, you can hear what sounds like residual. I'm not sure if it's intelligent. to me, it's more of a residual sort of paranormal phenomenon where you can hear the disembodied cries of numerous men from this incident. So there's also another, like I said, the propeller room, which is aft part of the ship on port side. And I've been in here many times where people will go in there and they will feel anxiety. They will feel almost a sadness. They will feel just a sense of like impending doom. And it could be a leftover residual sort of sensation from uh, the men that were unlucky and were sucked underneath the Queen Mary and dismembered by her propellers from that HMS Curacao, Curacao disaster could be. Um, so, whenever I go into the the propeller room, I always say a prayer. I mean, people will, I think, <laughs> I think there's a total of like, I think around a thousand, like $5,000 down there because people will go in there and throw coins over their shoulders, you know, make a wish and all that. But I always go in there and I, I say a prayer for all those that tragically died in that way. So um, paranormal-wise, or let me finish the history here. So so World War II uh, ended. Uh, the Queen Mary repatriated her servicemen, uh, carried around 22,000 war brides, and then resumed her pre-war ocean liner status. So pretty much what she was doing po- or pre-World War II, she was doing post-World War II up until 1967 when she sailed into Long Beach on December 9th of 1967. And since that time, she's been moored at uh, in Long Beach and she serves as, she wears many hats. She's a museum, hotel, uh, many restaurants on board, shops on board. People have, Weddings there, uh, uh, high school reunions there, all kinds of parties and events take place there. So it's, it's, it's pretty much the the shining diamond of Long Beach. So if you have not been to the Queen Mary, and I know that I'm, I'm biased because I love the ship, but it is definitely something to do. So definitely make a trip out here stay a few days, go to Disneyland one day, go to uh, Universal Universal Studios one day, and then spend a couple of days at the Queen Mary, okay? So uh, I want to get on to a little bit of, um, gosh, I only have a half hour. We're not going to finish. So I want to talk a little bit about some of her resident spirits and uh, some of the theories that I have uh, for the, the Queen Mary's paranormal phenomena. And again, I share a lot of these in my books and, and, and in Spirited, Spirited Queen Mary, Her Haunted Legend, which I'm giving a free uh, copy giveaway today. So, I think it, it's it, there's an interesting duality between the Queen Mary, the ship itself, and her resident spirits. I almost feel, and this may sound weird to some people, and that's fine. This is from hours and years spent on board. I feel that the Queen Mary is almost like a mother protector to a lot of her resident spirits. Some of them are there by choice. Some will pass through and and visit and not stay long. Others are not really mere spirits or or earthbound, but more residual psychic impressions. But there are numerous, numerous uh, energies on board. Uh, the late psychic investigator actually it was the late paranormal investigator, resident psychic on the ship. Sadly, he's no, lo- no longer here with us. Peter James, he he thought at one point that there were over 600 uh, uh, spirits on board. And I, I, you know, I'd have to agree. Maybe there's more. I almost, I almost think of the Queen Mary almost in terms of the spirit world. Like she's a, you know how different states and cities have welcome centers and you can stop and you can get brochures and learn about all the the cool stuff of that city or that state. I feel that the Queen Mary almost serves as a welcome center for the spiritual realm, if that makes sense. So a lot of the energies have been there for years and probably will choose to remain. Others come and go, but there are uh, uh, quite a few. I'm not going to get to all of them tonight, obviously because of time. But there are quite a few that have been with the ship for years. So I'm going to start with Jackie. Okay. So Jackie is a little girl. She 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 uh, appears as a little girl. Now she may be she may have passed away as an adult and chooses to come back as a child. I often feel that Jackie is almost the Spiritual personification of the queen mary she's feminine she's young uh she's innocent i almost i kind of feel that i don't know if i'm right on that but i almost feel that there's like she's almost the spiritual ambassador of the queen mary it seems as though that many of the other resident spirits on board know who jackie is i've had audio captures uh of of evps of of Uh, male and female vocalizations, asking where Jackie is, uh, saying Jackie's name. So, but she is, I've seen her. And if you can picture Shirley Temple, she could be Shirley Temple's twin, about six or seven years old, very, very intelligent, very precocious for a little girl, very talkative. She's drawn to certain people. She retains her childhood traits of, uh, you know, liking to sing and dance, uh, ring around the rosy, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, um, London Bridges Falling Down. I actually have a really, really good EVP, actually. And it's on, uh, I believe it's on uh, SanDiegoParanormalResearch.com under audio. And I was in the former first uh, and third class pool one night. This was about, oh my gosh, maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And I was singing Ring Around the Rosie, but I left the last word in the main verse out as an experiment to see if anyone would respond. And just to my surprise, that's exactly what happened. And I was singing ring around the rosy pockets full of posy ashes, ashes, we all fall. I didn't say down. I left that out and hope someone would respond. And that's exactly what happened. And it sounds like a young female answering with the word down. You know, I've heard Jackie many times. I've heard her both audibly. I've heard her both on, on, um, EVP and audible voice phenomena. So she has a, a distinct voice. I don't think that the, the girl that answered the, the Ring Around the Rosie experiment was Jackie, but it may have been. Let me take another drink of water. But Jackie is seen a lot in the former first and third class pool, but she's pretty much seen everywhere. Today, we don't know her origins at all. Um, I know that Peter James thought that She may have passed away in the second class pool, which was stripped away in the Long Beach conversion. So what remains now is just the former first and third class pool. And when uh, the third after air travel became the primary means of travel for the rich, they decided to open up the first class pool to third class passengers. And that's actually how it got the name, the first and first and third class pool. So, Jackie, um, you know, I don't know. Maybe she did pass away in the second class pool. I don't know. um we don't really know her origins. There is something online suggesting that her last name is torin t o r i n I believe I've done some research on that. I can't seem to to link the Jackie of the Queen Mary with the last name of Torin. Maybe I have to dig a little bit more, but either way, she's a very intelligent energy, very playful very uh very talkative, very loquacious, very uh, energetic, and I do believe that she almost serves as the spiritual ambassador of the ship. Uh, Went over JP a little bit. Another documented crew death is William Eric Stark, and he was a senior second officer on, I think it was the 2200 hour mark on September 18th, 1949. He accidentally, he was fighting a cold, and he accidentally consumed t- carbon tetrachloride with lime juice, mistaking it for gin. Sadly, he knew what happened. He wasn't feeling well. He called uh, the doctor on duty, Dr. O'Mara, I believe, and sadly two days later, or a few days later, on I think it was September 22, 1949, he passed away. So many people have encountered William Eric Stark on board in various areas of the liner, myself included uh almost repeating his rounds his duties so to speak uh some of what i've heard and, and other people have encountered this too is you might hear a very uh very heavy whisper grunt words of get out and i can't tell you how many times i've heard that i actually was on tony ashland's paranormal shipwalk tour and we were uh um, gosh, where were we? We were in the, the forward area where the old Titanic exhibit used to be. And we walked in there and we heard this disembodied grunt whisper vocalization say, get out. And I've heard that before. And it, it very well could be William Eric Stark, because I, I can't tell you how many other people that I've talked to that have heard those words. And they describe the same sort of voice. So he's probably doing his rounds. And in his mind, he's thinking that, okay, he doesn't know who a lot of these visitors are. In his mind, there are certain areas of the ship where crews only allowed. And if he's seeing people in those areas, he's going to tell them to get out naturally, right? So that makes sense. So he's a, a popular energy on board. John Henry, again, this is not a documented crew death. But in the boiler room area... Boiler rooms area, I should say, people have encountered uh, a gentleman. Uh, they've seen someone with a, a kind of balding wearing uh, some sort of uh, vintage at work attire uh, in this area, and this specific entity answers by the name of John or John Henry. And back when Disney had uh, management rights, they in, in Boiler room number four, there's what's called the Disney stage. And so that they would have performances and stuff. And so there was the green room a little bit forward of that. And so I've been on on the ship many times in this in this green room area. And we've conducted some EVP work on all of that, asking this entity questions, uh, John, John Henry. He seems to respond, like I said, uh, with the name John Henry. Um, he... We've had EVPs, uh, the Paranormal Investigation uh, weeknight, or Weekend Paranormal Investigation Tour Guide has captured uh, him uh, responding to that. He likes beer over liquor. His favorite holiday is Christmas, that sort of thing. But he's not a documented crew death. So we don't know exactly his origins. Sarah is another one. She's a younger uh, young girl older than Jackie. She's around maybe eight or ten. People describe her as... Um, kind of tall and lengthy, lanky short brown dark brown hair she's thought and I don't know where this theory came from I really don't but some people that have investigated the ship feel that she somehow guards the woman's changing room in the former first and third class pool that somehow she guards the portal the alleged portal there if you want my opinion I think the entire ship serves as a portal I don't know really what her origins are, but shes um, I've I've actually captured EVPs of someone responding with the name Sarah. I don't know if it's the same individual, Um, but she is thought to be around 8 to 10 years old, uh, tall, very pale, very short, dark brown hair. Of course, Winston Churchill has been spotted many times. It's funny because every time I... Take my mom to the Queen Mary. It seems that Winston Churchill likes my mom for some reason. He always seems to—he always seems to come around. It's crazy. But uh, like I said, during the war, him and his entourage pretty much stayed on M deck. So there is a, a suite called the the Winston Churchill Suite on M deck. I have been in it. It's fabulous. Interesting story in this room. There was a maid one day. I forget the exact year. She was in there cleaning the room. And she saw this man kind of morph out of like this mist or whatever. Then she saw this man then float into the portrait on the wall. And that portrait was none other than Winston Churchill. And so she described that the man that she saw kind of materialized looked exactly like the man in the portrait, which was Winston Churchill, believe it or not. So... He's been spotted on Sun Deck, Sports Deck, smoking his cigar. People have smelled the very profound um, scent of his cigar. I have as well in front of M Deck, his suite. In fact, I was there one day and because I was showing my mom for the first time uh, several years ago. I was showing her where uh, Winston Churchill's suite is. And we were standing right outside the door and we heard a conversation which sounded like maybe two or three men talking and I kind of, there's vents on the door. So I kind of kneeled down to see if I could see anyone in there. I couldn't see anyone in there. So then I went up to the front desk and I said, do you know if anyone's renting out the Churchill suite? And they said, no. I said, oh, that's interesting because there, there was at least two or three people in there talking. So that's interesting. So he spotted uh, various, um, uh, uh, and this could be a combination of intelligent and residual. Uh, World War II servicemen have been spotted walking down the hotel decks and in other areas of the liner. Uh, passengers and crew have various passengers and crew have been spotted as well. in the former first and third class pool, besides Jackie and Sarah, there have been uh, sightings of people in vintage bathing suits jumping into the pool. I was there many years ago and I actually have an EVP of this where uh, now the pool has been drained of water for many years. So there's no water in there. And uh, I have an EVP of someone swimming laps in the pool. You can hear clearly hear the splashing of the water. Uh, Let's see. There's an, an Italian prisoner of war that's been spotted inside the pool area. Sadly with no legs um ghost cats i have an interesting story about that in a second there's an a gentleman in the uh he kind of lingers more on the port side of the woman's changing room area which is aft of it's in it's at the bottom level of the pool aft side you can go in the women's changing room area and a lot of people will encounter this very gruff territorial male in there some people think it's William Eric Stark. I don't know. Maybe it is. Also under the stairs in the pool, there have been uh, various weird things that have occurred, uh, disembodied voices, that sort of thing. Um, Shadow figures is another very big phenomenon on the Queen Mary, specifically in the pool area. People, especially up above on the port side and starboard side areas, people will see shadow figures just starting around. Uh, I have some uh, photographs of them as well uh, that are very interesting. You can view those on uh, San Diego paranormal research.com. Oh, one of my friends actually captured one on the staircase. And what's interesting about that specific photo is that the shadow figure that appears in that photo looks exactly as how your eyes would visually see it at the time of seeing it, which is really interesting. So when you think of shadow figures, you think of, okay, the classic shadow figure and then maybe a partially manifested stage of an apparition. So we're not talking necessarily about the classic shadow figure that is theorized to uh, be here, to observe the living. They're seen either very tall or very short wearing a hat and a and a some sort of long coat uh various theories for them uh some people think they're uh they're malevolent some people feel that they're here to observe the living maybe they're uh maybe have to do with maybe the men in black or or alien species what I've I've heard so many theories I'm not talking about that on the queen mary it's mostly partially manifested stages of an apparition where you're not seeing the skin color you're not seeing the clothing you're seeing just an an, an overview of a shadow in, in a humanoid form so that's very prevalent in the former first and third class pool uh, back to phantom cats uh, obviously cats were on board uh, animals even during the uh, ocean liner days uh celebrities and, and passengers had their dogs with them and, and that sort of thing. Um, cats were on board, obviously, to keep the, the mice at bay. So we were actually, I was on the Paranormal Investigation week or Weekend, gosh, I can't say Late Night Weekend Paranormal Investigation Tour, which is Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, led by Matt Schultz. He's been doing this for many years, I think since 2013. He also lives in San Diego, and he's the founder of Para Explorer Project. So I was on with him one night and we had a group in the women's changing area. And I was I was sitting in the stall um, facing the entrance door. So I was uh, more on the aft stall side. And so I had a, a, a clear view of the entrance door. And across from me, there were two women in, in, in the stall across from me. All of a sudden, one of the women said, oh, my gosh, something just touched my foot. And so we all kind of just stopped and we were quiet. And then what happened after that is just phenomenal. I clearly, and other people too, clearly saw a translucent cat. Okay, it was definitely a cat. You could kind of see through it, walk from that woman's stall all the way out in front of us and then back out the entrance door. And then about maybe 10 seconds went by, five or 10 seconds, that same cat, traveled back through the entrance door, back in front of us, meowed as loud as day, and then just dematerialized right then and there. And it was captured on audio. So that is the type of experience that you can have on the Queen Mary. Very visual and very, I would say, visual and auditory are the two two big ones on the Queen Mary. But people have been touched. Um, People have had phantom smells, you name it. Speaking of phantom smells uh, on a deck, there is an entity he's nicknamed the old spice ghost because you don't necessarily see him, but you walk into this very concentrated uh, area that smells just like old spice cologne. And that happened to me. I was staying on a deck a few years ago. I forget the room number. I forget the cabin number, but it was a port side a deck. And so I had come back in at night after having dinner and, and, and walking around and localized in the bathroom was this very strong, I mean, it it, would, it was so strong that it was almost nauseating scent of Old Spice cologne. And so I, I smelled it and then I walked away from it to see if it was kind of following me. No. Then I walked back into the bathroom and it was still there. And this lasted about maybe, I don't know, maybe like 10 seconds. And then it was just gone. Just like that. Of course there's vents and things like that. And smells can travel. Yes, I get that. But this is such a common claim that people have experienced. And I I was, you know, kind of honored to experience it. It was very, very, very powerful. Um, Let's see. There's a little boy in Navy blue that people have seen in various areas of the ship. He is seen uh, almost wearing like an old sailors like uniform, you know, that kids wore, or back in the forties and fifties. I see him as a uh, kind of chunky, like reddish hair, freckles. I've talked to crew members. I've talked to people that have experienced him and have, uh, have seen him. So uh, I've, I haven't seen him, but I've, I've, Felt him. I'm a little on the intuitive side, and I've I've felt his presence. I and I my suspicion is that he might be related to maybe one of the other child spirits on board. Um, interestingly, it seems as though he and Jackie have a connection. I don't know what that is. I'm still exploring that, but uh, very cute. And so, like I said, former ship crew and passengers. Light anomalies are a big one. People have seen. You know. Digital cameras and the whole orb phenomenon, there's a lot of bait, debate with that. So I'm not talking about orbs that are captured on digital cameras, which most likely can be explained away for various reasons. But people have seen large and small orbs of light with their own eyes darting back and forth. Um, there was an interesting, and I actually feature this story uh, in Spirited Queen Mary, Patrick Wheelock, who uh, is very familiar with the ship. He used to to lead tours on board he talks about this weird light anomaly in the forward cargo hold. And he did so much experimentation with it, trying to explain it away. Into to this day he can't. And so that story's in the book. So, I mean, so many, so many ghost stories, a lot of paranormal encounters. I think that, you know, the, the ship's history is so profound and so legendary. I think that that almost is the, the primary foundation for why the ship is so active but you have theories of water, uh, some items that you were used to to make the ship uh, fifty six different varieties of wood um, used to uh, furnish or adorn the the various uh, inner inner areas of the ship. Uh, let's see her her propellers, the manganese bronze, in the former first and third class pool. you have the mother of pearl crystal and the ceiling that the soldiers used to pick at because Pretty much during the war, every part of the ship was used as bunking for the soldiers. So all these various items um, and, and materials used to construct the ship could also have a layer as to why the Queen Mary is so active. I think, too, there's, a, there's a, almost a psychokinetic component as well. So many people go in and out of the the Queen Mary, well, not this year due to COVID, but you know what I mean, Uh, in and out of the ship, wanting to experience her history, wanting to experience her luxury, wanting to encounter a paranormal event. So I think that that almost fuels and acts as a capacitor for a lot of the paranormal activity. And like I said earlier, I think the Queen Mary, the ship itself is one almost gigantic sentient spirit and then her living spirits that are within her interplay with that. So I think that that all kind of plays into uh, the Queen Mary's paranormal activity. And there's a lot of other theories as well. We only have about nine minutes left. I wanted to share, uh, let me share this because I mentioned him at the beginning of the show. So JP, I've had many encounters with him. I have EVPs of him. One one of my most uh, profound captures, I was down in the aft engine room one day on a tour and the tour guide asked if anyone has ever had an experience. And of course, I raised my hand and I was talking about the time that I was walking through Shaft Alley, where door number 13 is, and I felt someone tug on my purse and there was no one behind me. And I talked about how I didn't brush up against either the railing or, the, or the, the wall, I was in the center of the aisle, and something clearly tugged on my purse. And I was explaining that. And as I was explaining that and saying, and something tugged on my purse, an EVP occurred that I didn't hear at the time. So that's what makes it an EVP, it was captured on audio of a man saying, I am down here. Now, in the years that have passed, since that experience, I have heard jp many times both audibly i've heard other evp captures of him so i've in a sense uh learned to recognize his voice uh, a former crew member was in in the engine room one day too and uh had and this evp is also on san diego paranormal research.com he was in there and he was recording and he asked uh it, well, the first name is John. So, John, are you back here? And there was a response of yes. And what's interesting about that EVP is you clearly hear the inhalation before the yes, which to me makes it so intriguing. Definitely sounds like JP. I've seen him uh, in other areas of the ship. I've seen him peripheral vision, which is a lot of times most common in, ter- in, in how we see um, apparitions and, and, and spirits, sometimes direct as well. And uh, so I've seen him peripherally in the aft engine room, other areas of the liner. Uh, but it was a few years ago. And again, I was on Matt Schultz's tour and we were in uh, the boiler rooms at the time. And so there was a little bit of, cause he would take one group into the green room and then the other group just would explore boiler rooms three and four. So I was in the group just kind of to explore boiler rooms three and four and at one point, I was I was in a daydream state, which, which to me is what makes this so interesting. I was standing on the Disney stage, and I was on the starboard side facing forward. And I was almost in a daydream state. And all of a sudden, to my right, out of my right peripheral vision, I noticed something. And when my eyes looked over, my eyes literally met. His eyes. Now I know what JP looks like. There's a historical photograph of him. And what I saw, it was as if that photograph came to life. So when my eyes looked over, my eyes met him from, I would say, the shoulders, neck, and above, he floated toward me, smiled, and then floated back, and then just dematerialized. And it was such a profound, one of the, the most profound spiritual or paranormal apparitional sightings I've ever had. And I've had many on the Queen Mary. And it was interesting that night because I was, I seemed to be kind of in touch with him that night. I was almost channeling him more so than I usually do. And to have that experience toward the end of the night was just truly, truly profound. Um, you know, like I said, audio wise and visual are so prevalent on the Queen Mary. I mean, some of my most profound Spirit sightings have been on the Queen Mary. So, oh my gosh, we, I have to do another, at least another couple of episodes because I'm looking at my notes here <laughs> and there's so much more I want to share. So we'll do that again sometime. But uh, I want to thank you for listening. I know this was kind of a mumble jumble of Queen Mary stuff, not so organized, but I just kind of went off the seat of my pants, I guess, for this show and just, you know, was spontaneous But, you know, as I said earlier, I do want to offer a free book giveaway. So that is Spirited Queen Mary, Her Haunted Legend. And so uh, the question I'm going to ask is the date of her launch, not her maiden voyage, but the date of her launch. The first person that can answer that, uh, send me an email. Um, First person that can answer that, of course, send me an email with your address and I will, of course, mail you a copy of the book. So my goodness, my voice is going. So again, we'll have, I'll I'll have another few sessions to get through all of this because there's so many unique stories and encounters, not just mine, but many others as well uh, to share. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, Next week I have, let's see, Marie Jones on. And then July 29th, I have Christina Bloom And then August 5th, I have Lon Strickler. We'll stop there. So a a great lineup of guests. It'll be great to talk with them. And I hope everyone has a fabulous uh, end of their week. I know it's Thursday. It always seems like, because I do, I co-host Haunted Voices with Todd on Tuesday. And then I have this show on Thursday and it always seems like it's Tuesday when I do the show. It's the weirdest thing. So anyways, uh, thanks for tuning in. Have a wonderful weekend. Don't forget to check out the brand new website, Designed and developed by Todd Bates at WLTKDB.com. We're also, of course, on Facebook, WLTKDB, as well as Twitch, twitch Twitch.com, WLTKDB, as well as YouTube as well. So have a great night, folks. Have a fantastic weekend. And we will see you next week. Sound good. All right. Good night. Take care.